0: This message is brought to you by Cedar Springs Church. For more information, please visit cedarspringschurchnm.org. Kids are leaving. I do not even have to tell them. Let's pray. <coughs> Father, you are in fact a wondrous mystery. Um, a mystery we don't understand, but a mystery that's been revealed. A mystery that brings joy to our hearts and bewilderment uh, to our minds. Father, we pray uh, that we would comprehend that revealed mystery in ways this morning that we haven't in the past. We pray that your word would speak to us this morning in a way and about things, Father, that we haven't yet considered in our lives. We pray that the text would this morning would reveal what you revealed to Moses and we would understand the reality and the circumstances of Moses receiving that revelation we pray this morning father that we would see you in our text that we would find you in our text and know that our text this morning speaks loudly and clearly of you father and lastly this morning we pray that we find ourselves in the text we know that you have something for each of us in this text this morning we pray you soften our hearts open our minds uh, give us a willingness to hear what we need to hear from the words out of the pages of Scripture this morning. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Okay. God has a plan. That's the uh, title of the sermon this morning. And uh, likewise, I have a plan this morning. And I'm not sure how it's going to work, but uh, we will soon find out. Haley, let's show him my plan. <laughs> Now, I'm a retired general contractor, and we were design-build, so we did plans, and we built houses, and so I know a little something about plans, and that's what we're going to talk about this morning. I don't know if everybody can see that or not. That's the first page of a plan set that you would submit for a permit. Uh, there's elevation, we call this the elevation plan. It shows a house from front and rear, right side, left side, so you, you kind of get a chance here to see the end product after all, everything is said and done and time has passed, this is what you're going to build. And then over there on the left, I know you can't see it from where you're at, but it shows how that house you're going to build is situated on the lot. So you, you have a sense of where this project is going, and what it's going to look like in the end, and what your end goal is. But there's there's at least four minimum pages you have to have with a set of plans. So th- put the next one up there, if you, if you would. This one we call the foundation plan. It's where you dig trenches. You put steel in those trenches, and then you surround that steel with concrete. And in certain places, you thicken it more than others because it's going to carry the load of everything that happens. Most people don't spend much time looking at this page. When they sell a house plan book, they don't usually include this on the page for you, because most people uh, just would skip over it anyways. But if you don't get this page right, you may as well not finish the project. If your dirt work isn't done and your concrete and your forms and everything isn't done well, uh, you may as well go home. Next page, please. This is what we call the framing page because Once you build that firm foundation, you're going to build something on it. And the Burnley County or City of Albuquerque, whoever you're submitting this to, wants to know that it isn't going to fall over when you build it. So there are rules, and you're showing them here that you're complying with the rules. There's a roof system there that's very heavy. It's going to carry a lot of weight. And so weight is going to be put on this thing, and you've got to show that it can carry the load of the weight. There's also in the bottom half there, it's what we call wall bracing. We want to make sure that when the winds come, when the storms come, when a hurricane hits, that your house doesn't sway or fall over completely. And so there are rules that must be complied with. This is a very, very uh, important part of the plan. Without this, things built on a firm foundation will still fail. And then there's the last page, which everyone is mostly uh, entertained by, and that's the floor plan. This is where life is lived. This is where joy is had. This is where you eat and you sleep, and the practical and realities of life are lived in this space. And so you'll want to look at it and say, do I agree with this space? Does this space work with my plan for my life? Okay, so so that's a plan, and there's some important things there. I, I might suggest to you that that's just paper, though. You can take that down now. Anybody can draw a set of plans. Not anybody, but... Let me take that back. I've seen a lot of people try to draw plans, okay? Um, but that's paper, and you've got to get from paper to reality. And getting from paper to reality isn't, it isn't, it's not a journey, it's not something that happens without issues, problems, bumps in the roads. Contractor is very foolish to tell you he's going to build your house and everything's going to go smooth, because you know things never go smooth. We all know that, right? The issue is, Is when they, do I know how to avoid the, the main things that prevent it from going smooth? And am I creative and, and have enough ingenuity to know how to deal with the things that come, the storms that come, the broken windows, the things that you didn't plan on, the rocks, uh, that I can deal with it and, and stay in your budget? There's a lot of things that can make uh, a thing go wrong. Um, you know, sometimes things are minor. Sometimes problems are major. Sometimes a plumber gets a little excited and leaves his torch on the wood too long, and maybe a little, little, little I don't know. <laughs> it's just a little fire, it's not a big one. Okay, no harm, no foul. Uh, f- 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 foul the the, f- the fire's out, right? And we can um, we can cover it with sheetrock. <laughs> N- nobody will know. Okay. Th- things, ha- things happen. A guy yells out, hey, hey, I need help. I need help over here now. I just accidentally nailed nail gun. I-, I nailed my hand to the stud. <laughs> okay. We all go over and, and, and we look at it. And, and no problem. Just b- b- leave it. We'll cover it with sheetrock. <laughs> sheetrock covers a, a variety, a multitude of sins. I think there's a verse for that <laughs> somewhere the bi- the biggest problem when you build I know I'm going long on illustration here but it's going to work I think <coughs> the bigger problem sometimes more often than not though are not those issues though those things come and go it's the client themselves because you know when you're when you've been at this for a while and you have experience and you know you know how to get from paper to reality and you know all the things are involved along the way, and you, you, end up, you develop systems for getting from here to there, and sometimes clients come in, and, and they want to tell you how to get from here to there, and their wisdom usually is minimal or um, misinformed. Their neighbor said this or their uncle did it this way or something, and, you know, we should use plywood instead of engineered lumber because whatever, and so my, my illustration more often than not in a very, very kind way was... You've hired me to get us from here to there. I will pilot the plane. You, you're welcome to look out the window and watch, but let me pilot the plane. I know what I'm doing, and I'll get us there. Okay? As nice and as whatever as I could say that without losing the contract altogether. All right. Uh, trust me with the controls. God isn't to design, build. He knows how to put plans together, and he knows how to make them work. Head towards Exodus 3 if you're not there already. That's that's our text for today. We're going to talk about Moses and the burning bush. We're going to do the first 10 verses in Exodus chapter 3. So um, God has a plan, and I have four things I want to tell you this morning about that plan. The first thing I want to tell you is God has a plan. But the plan has parts that we don't always see. The plan has parts uh, we don't always see. Uh, Mo- Exodus chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father in law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness, and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out in the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning. Yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. Let's put a little context on this, okay? Uh, Moses is out in the desert. I mean, if uh, I didn't put a map up, but if you can picture the Red Sea, and the Red Sea kind of has two wings that go off up into it. And Moses, uh, at this time, is actually living on this wing over here. He lives in Midian on, on, on the east side of the wing, But where he is today at Horeb, the mountain of God, is he's on the other side of that wing. He's about 200 miles from home, give or take. I put a ruler on it in my scale, and that's not to scale, but that's close. Uh, He's about 200 miles from home. He's shepherding sheep. He's, he's, he's probably 200 miles from home because he's in the desert and he's got a f- good-sized flock of sheep. His father-in-law, Jethro, is wealthy. And those not, there's just not a lot of grass. There's not a lot of water, and you've got to go far and wide to find it, and that's where he's at. He's, he's gone far and wide. He's actually been working for his father-in-law here in the, in the wilderness in Midian uh, for about 40 years, and we'll catch up with that in, in just a minute. One of the things he knows in his 40-year history is he's a master gardener. And he knows bushes don't burn on their own. And he knows that dry bushes in the desert that do burn go out fairly quickly. But this bush is not going out. So what Moses has come to at this point, this moment in time, this moment in his life, he's come, he's having an extraordinary event in his life that he wants to process. And he's trying to process something that in, in, he's actually 80 years old, but in his 80 years he's never seen anything like this before. So... But let's back up just a little bit more, because as he stands here in this moment in time, this isn't the beginning of the story of Moses. And most of you are real familiar with this, so I'm going to go through it real fast. Uh, The book of Exodus starts out um, where the book of Genesis left off. The book of Genesis left off. The uh, Israelites were in Egypt, and they were uh, subject to Pharaoh. And now they've been here for about 430 years. And as they've been here 430 years, they had good times and bad times, good times, they grow. They've gone from being the 12 sons of Jacob to uh, being a nation, from a family to a nation. And as this nation has become strong, the book of Exodus picks up in the in story of this nation, this Israelite nation. And as we go along and we start through the first chapter, we, we find that now there is a new king. In Egypt. And this new king, this new Pharaoh, is, uh, looks out at this big nation and he's so worried about it. He thinks they could take things over. So he, 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 they, he, they're enslaved, they're doing uh, hard labor. He's making the hard labor worse and worse by the day. And as he does so, the, the nation is groaning. They're, they're buried down by the weight. And he's thinking that's not enough population control. They're still growing. So he, he decides, he issues an edict that the, uh, all the male children born will be uh, killed, have to be killed. And so things are, are, are bad. They're very, very bad. And so uh, you probably know the rest of the story. Uh, Moses is born in the third month of life. His sister knows and mother know that he's going to be killed. So rather than do that, they put him in a basket. He floats down the river and on a lucky chance, the um, Pharaoh's daughter comes down. She sees the baby in the basket. She takes the baby home. She's going to raise the baby. She can't nurse the baby because she didn't have the baby. So she calls one of her aides to go get me somebody to nurse it. And lo and behold, the nursemaid that they find to do this is Moses' mother, Jacobhead. Okay? What luck. Moses is raised in this royal family. He gets a good education. He gets a, everything that he, he would need in this life of luxury. But at the same time, he's being, he has this uh, is, Israelite mother nursemaiding him. So at the end of the day, what is Moses? Is he going to be an Israelite or is he going to be an Egyptian? Well, what's his identity going to be? And uh, what happens here uh, on uh, about Moses' 40th birthday, give or take, he's 40 years old, he goes out one day and he's walking among the masses and he sees uh, an Egyptian and the Egyptian is abusing one of the Israelite slaves and Moses goes over and confronts him. Long story short, Moses murders this guy. He kills him, gets rid of the body. And so uh, he doesn't, He thinks he got away with it. Well, the very next day, he sees two Israelites out there fighting. And he goes, well, brothers, he says, well, why are you fighting? You shouldn't be fighting. And then one of the Israelites says back to him, who are you to talk? You murdered that guy yesterday. So somehow his, his sin has been exposed. Not only does this Israelite accuse him, but this Israelite goes and tells Pharaoh. And now Pharaoh... Puts out arrest warrants in the post office now for Moses. So Moses goes on the lamb, and this is how he ends up at age 40. Uh, he leaves royalty, and he, he, he ends up, he uh, empties himself of his royalty, if I can use that language, and he ends up over in Midian, meets his father-in-law Jethro, gets married, and just lived happily ever after there for 40 years shepherding sheep. And we come to d- today's story. Now, it's important that we get all that context. Otherwise, if we just pick it up and now Moses was keeping the flock, we lose all of that, see? And so as if this was a TV program and you didn't have all that context, you would think this was the, the season premiere of the, of the whole thing and that there was no backstory and here's the characters and we're going to develop them. But we have to know that this is like season four or five of the episodes. And we're just coming in on season four or five of our, of our episodes. So um, there are some things in this plan. Moses didn't look at his history and realize where it was going to take him. Now he doesn't just find himself in the desert speaking to God. He finds himself in the desert knowing his Israelite history. Knowing everything he knows about being raised in royalty, knowing where he lives now for the last 40 years, that is the context upon which God appears to him in the next a couple of verses. It's just kind of like you and I are, are the same way. You sit here this morning, and I think um, uh, Bruce alluded to it a little bit. This is a moment in time in your life. But you didn't get here, and this isn't where your life began, is it? You have history, you have events. You have tragedy in your life. You have good things in your life. You have all kinds of events in your life that have led to this moment in time. You sit here in a chair and you're listening to Gary speak. You didn't come here without all that baggage. Some of it's good. Some of it's bad. Some of it's grown you. Some of it still scares you. But we, like Moses, have, have plans in our life. There are things in our life you know, that we don't always see coming, parts that we don't see. Number two, God has a plan, though, that is larger than me. God has a plan, and that plan is larger than me. Starting in verse 4, when the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, Moses had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near, take your sandals off of your feet, for your place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Moses, Moses, we know from Scripture, we know from many places in our Hebrew and and Greek text as well. When we see a name repeated like that, there's some intimacy here. God's not looking upon somebody he doesn't know, that he doesn't know something about, have a relationship with. He has somehow connected to Moses. But Moses is a man. Moses is on holy ground. So Moses must take off his shoes to be in the presence of God. And God announces to, to Moses, he reminds Moses, that I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's not a news flash to Moses. Moses was raised 40 years in royalty, but with his mother. He has an Hebrew identity. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Who are those people? That's that's the Abrahamic covenant. That's the covenant that promised there would be a nation of people. And that that nation of people would sojourn in a foreign land for 400 years. Isn't that exactly what's going on? Moses, I am the father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I am here. Let's back up just a moment to chapter 2, and let's look at the last couple of verses there in chapter 2. It gives us a little bit more context. During, uh, starting in verse 23, During those many days the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery, and they cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And God heard their groaning, and God remembered His covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God saw the people of Israel, and He knew. God, the father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, He knows the covenant He has with them. He knows He told them it would be 400 years. He hears them crying out, and now the time has come. Moses knows this isn't a stinking burning bush. This is the voice of God the father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the father of the covenant, by which all Israelites live by and understand by and hope for. His, the memories, the pieces are coming together in his mind, and in the presence of God he cowers. He does the same thing everybody else does in the presence of God. He finds himself in abject fear. Let's just keep reading here. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry... Isn't that what we just heard? He says, he tells Moses he heard their cry. I have seen their affliction. He tells Moses, I heard their cry, and I know their sufferings. And I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the... The cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Stop there. God is telling Moses, I've heard the people cry. I know they're in bondage. I foretold they would be in bondage, but now the time has come for me to come down and to deliver them. And I'm going to come down, and I'm going to deliver them. And it's clear what he's going to deliver them from is the hand of the Egyptians. And what he's going to deliver them to is the land of the promise. That's where the Jebusites, those, those six uh, indigenous tribes, that's where they all live. We, sometimes we generically call them all the Canaanites. They're in the land of Canaan, but that's a pagan land. He's going to take them back there. That's the plan. We're going to leave bondage. You're going to be freed from bondage, and we're going to journey back to the promised land. God is revealing... To Moses, his plan. Now, this plan, as far as Moses is concerned, has been in in play for 80 years. Moses is now reckoning that his life, his life experience, the royal court, he's being asked to go back, he's going he's to go back, all of this is going on. Moses is putting himself at age 80 in context with God's plan. But the plan has been going on far before Moses. The plan that we're, we're talking about, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that's 430-year-old plan. We're in season 47 of this TV episode. All right? So God has a plan that is larger than Moses. His plan is larger than me. Um, <clears throat> Actually, the plan of God predates Genesis 15, the covenant to Abraham. When, did this plan, when were these plans drawn up? When was the elevation page first, first drawn? It was drawn before the foundations of the earth. We call it the covenant of redemption. Before the foundations of the earth, God made a plan. And what's happening now is he's taking that plan and he's taking it from paper to reality. He wants to take a plan and he wants to make it real in the lives of, the, uh, of these people. He's not winging it. He didn't just come upon a guy who just happened to have to meet the perfect criteria for the job description he had planned. This has been in progress for, for much time. Four hundred thirty years of silence has passed. And the time has come to return these people to their home. Likewise, you and I are part of God's plan. You have a plan. God has a blueprint for your life. He has a plan for you. But that plan, you don't always see it, right? There are pieces of it you don't realize until it hits you. Maybe this is what God wants for me. But at the the same time, um, the plan is larger than just you. What I'm trying to say in a nutshell, folks, it's not about you, <laughs> okay? Life is not about you. So, so let's keep going. We have, we have one more piece of the text to look at. So because the plan uh, has parts we don't always see, and God's plan is larger than me, God has a plan that includes me. God has a plan, and that plan includes me, and it includes you. Verse 10. Come and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. This is the commission. Moses, God has a blueprint. He has a plan. He's revealed that plan to Moses. And now he's telling Moses, you're going to be the general contractor. You're going to be the one that's going to execute this plan. You are my choice. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Egypt. That's the floor plan, Moses. This is, <coughs> excuse me, this is your life. This, this is, excuse, <coughs> excuse me, this is how you're going to live. This is where you're going to live. This is going to be the ins and outs of your daily life, this plan, as you lead these people out of Egypt. Okay? So at a moment in time, the light comes on for Moses. All of his history, all of his life, everything comes into play. He's now built the whole puzzle together, and he realizes what he has been called to do. So immediately, what does Moses do? He comes up with five reasons why God's made a huge mistake. <laughs> okay? God should not have chosen me to do this. Who am I that I should be the one? Okay, God says, don't worry, chill out, I will go with you. Moses said, well, who will I say send me? I, I, I can't just show up and talk. I tell them, Moses, that I am sent you. If you're not familiar with this phrase, I am, this is the name of God, and God is basically telling him to tell them I am. It's a code word. When we go back to Israelites who have, although in captivity there must be a remnant there who has been practicing, who knows the Abraham covenant, and who remembers. When we see that the I Am has sent you, they're going to know this God Almighty has appeared to this man and sent him to us. Trust me, Moses. Well, they won't believe me just because I say that. Well, how about this? Pick up that stick. We'll turn it into a serpent. And you can lay it down and that'll go become a serpent and you can pick it up and it'll go from a serpent. we oh, I give you a magic staff. Okay? Not only that, we'll let you pull your hand out and it looks good. Put it in your pocket. Pull it back out, it's leprous. Put it back in, it's it's, it's sleight of hand. Leprous to clean. Leprous to clean. <laughs> we'll give you some signs, Moses, so that they will believe you. Okay? But I'm slow of speech. I mean I, I I'm not I I I I, I, I stutter. I, I I'm not articulate, I can't do, don't worry, your brother Aaron is still over there and you're going to connect with him and I'll, he's, he's a great speaker. I'll let him speak on your behalf, okay? Finally Moses gives him the ultimate argument and just says, send someone else, I don't want to go. <laughs> and God in his wisdom tells Moses, pick up your staff and go. And Moses went. And you know the rest of the story, probably most of it. Moses goes, there's ten plagues, Pharaoh finally gives in, there's an avenging angel, we have the Passover meal, the people flee, they cross the Red Sea, and we eventually end up at the mountain of God, at Horeb, at the very place where this burning bush was to begin with. And we go up that mountain, and we go up to Sinai, Mount Sinai, and we get the Ten Commandments, the ultimate Floor plan. This is how you will live. Give them, show them this plan, Moses. This is what I want for my people. Now, then, Moses is not a perfect guy. Moses, like you and me, he has issues. God has told Moses to make sausage. And we all know what happens when you make sausage. There are things that go into sausage that are unpleasant, that we don't talk about that are a mess, even though at the end of the day, sausage ain't bad. But we don't talk about sausage usually. What is some of the sausage uh, as Moses goes out and he takes his staff and he executes his plan? Well, see, he's dealing with some people here, and there's some pretty tough clients. Along the way, they're insisting on quite a few plan changes. (laughs) They don't necessarily like where they're going. They don't like how they're getting there. They're complaining about the food supply. And things are just, you know, God has piloted this thing in this direction. He's told my, Moses, I'm the pilot. Moses, follow my plan. And as Moses tries to follow the plan, it ain't the route that people would have chosen. So people all along the way want to take control of that airplane and fly it themselves. But God has a plan. He's done this for a reason. It tells us in Deuteronomy 8, He did this because these men have to learn that man does not live by, by bread alone and that they will live by what I say and what my plan is, all right? I make a plan, you follow my plan. You do not live by bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from my mouth. That's why he took them the hard way, so they would learn that lesson. Trouble, problems, speed bumps were baked into the plan. I actually didn't bake in those things in my plans because they happened often enough without me baking them in. What's going on here is a plan of God is being executed, but it's a bumpy plan. It's not a perfect plan in terms of how man would define it. Can you find yourself in this text? Can you find yourself in God's plan for your life? Do you try to fly the plane yourself? Are you suggesting plan changes? Let's go back. Let's go back to number two for just a minute. Let's go back to God has a plan that is larger than me. How large is this plan? It's larger than Moses. It's larger than Israel. How large is it? familiar verse here, Luke 24 and uh, 27. Road to Emmaus. He's talking to the guys on Emmaus. Eventually they figure out he's the risen Christ. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets he interpreted to them, all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. All I want you to remind you of is as we stay in the Old Testament here, the Old Testament, Luke 24 tells us, is about Christ. There's something in this text about Christ. The plan is larger than Moses. It's larger than Israel. The plan here is about Christ. Now, about a week ago, uh, several of us in the room here, we went to a workshop, a preaching workshop, and, and we were taught a bunch of new stuff, you know, to make life harder for us, but uh, at, at any rate, we, we listened. One of the things they gave us that was new, they used this illustration, one of the guys did, that the Old Testament is like a quarterback throwing a football to the New Testament. And when the Old Testament throws the football to the New Testament, who is always the receiving end of that pass? It's always Jesus Christ. Every Old Testament passage eventually will, will end up in the hands of Christ. Uh, but I, I, I don't want to be accused of plagiarism, so I'm going to change the football metaphor. Uh, this is, my metaphor is this is not a pass, Old Testament to New. It's a fumble that Jesus recovers. Okay. First, Adam did not follow the blueprint. He fumbled the ball. He sinned. Jesus recovered that fumble and lived a life without sin. King David, like Moses, was sent to deliver the people. He was a conquering warrior. He fought. He killed. He conquered. And and he was their king. He was everything except that he had this relationship with Bathsheba and with her husband, Uriah the Hittite. And he fumbled the ball there. That kingship, that king fumbled the ball. Jesus picked up that ball in, in the New Testament and became the perfect king to deliver people once and for all. You see, Moses was sent, chosen by God, to deliver folks. And he did, eventually, in fairness to him, after another 40 years. The guy's 120 now. <laughs> he delivers this, this group of people. And when he delivers them, he's, he's messed up. His, something in his sausage prevents him from getting to go into the promised land. You probably know that story. And likewise, when Joshua and the others go in the promised land without him to conquer and do what they're told to do, they end up in the long haul not doing what they were told to do. They didn't follow the plan. And when they didn't follow the plan, their enemies eventually conquered them. Right? And they came out on the short end of the stick. They fumbled. Moses fumbled the ball in some measure. The Israelites fumbled the ball. Along comes Jesus, a better Moses, the book of Hebrews tells us. And this, Jesus picked up that ball and he delivered us once and for all. Jesus defeated our enemies once and for all. They're not going to come back and conquer us. That enemy is history. It is done. Jesus received the pass, recovered the fumble, and has done what should have been done with it in the first place. The bottom line is this text is supposed to point us to Christ coming as the perfect deliverer, right? The one who defeated, who emancipated us from sin, freed us from the bondage of sin. Jesus' the death on the cross, folks, was a perfectly executed play. The opposition was taken by surprise. They thought when they hung Him on the cross they were going to win. But His death on the cross defeated them. What a play. What a plan. God's plan always works if you follow the plan. So let's, uh, let's keep moving here. 400 years, okay? These guys are in bondage for 400 years. Picture yourself. How many generations is that? 400 years. You're, you're, you're in bondage, 12 generations, maybe more. You're in bondage. You're one of those generations. Your whole life from birth till death is living in bondage, making pyramids or whatever Pharaoh has you on that week. That is your purpose. That is your existence. Are you a happy camper? That could have been you and me. That could have been God's plan for you and me. But it wasn't. We didn't live in that age. And I'm grateful. I'm grateful I didn't live in that age. But you know what? As Israel's history uh, goes, that wasn't the only 400 years of God's silence. Because we understand from the book of Malachi to the time Jesus came, there was another 400 years of silence. How did those people live, therefore, in their 400 years of silence? I'm going to suggest to you that what we know from Scripture, they lived it in rebellion, they lived it in sin. They did not follow God's plan. They rebelled against all of the Mosaic rules and laws. They worshipped false gods. They did not follow the plan. So for 400 years, they lived in the bondage to that sin, bond, whatever, however we want to say it, until after 400 years, once again God, God sends a deliverer, this time a perfect deliverer. What does that do to you and I? We didn't live in the first 400 years under Pharaoh, we didn't live in the next quiet, silent 400 years, waiting for the next deliverer to come, the ultimate deliverer to come. We live in the 2,000 years. God has now been silent for 2,000 years. You didn't live then, or then, you live now. How will you live in this 2,000 year period that God has put you in? Are you going to follow the plan, or do you reject the plan? We're waiting for another Savior to come. Not for another Savior, but for the Savior, the Redeemer, to come again. There's there's an M.O. here. There's a repetition here. Only it isn't 400 years this time. It's 2,000 years. Because the Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that anyone should perish, but that all should reach repentance. This is the last phase, you guys. When Jesus comes again, history will be over. The plan will be done, and we will move on to the reality of the elevation page. The plan has parts we don't always see. The plan is larger than me, but the plan includes me. But lastly, the plan is not complete. We're almost there. But the plan is not complete. God had a plan for Moses. God had a plan for Jesus. There's not a human being in this room that God does not have a plan for. He doesn't love Moses more than He loves you. His plan for Moses wasn't better than His plan for you. You live in a 2,000-year bucket of time... And He has a plan for you as specific and as real as the one He had for Christ and as the one He had for Moses and as the one He had for David and every other human being that has ever lived. Here's what you need to know. God has no intentions of modifying His plan because you don't like it. He didn't modify it for Moses when Moses gave Him five reasons to. And He didn't modify it for Jesus in the garden when Jesus said, Can you take this from me? The plan sticks. The plan is right. The plan is good. It's a floor plan that we must live by, and in the 2,000-year bucket of time that you and I live in, that is the plan. We need to know that that elevation plan on paper exists in reality. There is a home there with a soul sign in front of it that belongs to you. That is the plan. That's where this is going, and we need to, to be aware of that and to live by that. I'm not going go to go to Moses and say, be like Moses, he did this, be like Moses. That's, I'm not going to moralize a text. There's something more in this text than that, and it's about the value of God's plan for you and me. There's a future residence plan for you and I, and we've seen it on paper. The circumstances of your life, like Moses, have prepared you for the plan God has planned for you. Your height, your build, your hair color, your hair or lack thereof are part of what He's made you to be to fit the plan He has for you. Your family history, likewise. The fact that you're in this room and all the history that brought you through, this is part of God getting you to where He wants you to be so you understand His plan completely. Your academic excellence is there, given to you, because it's something you'll need in this plan He has for you. Your lack thereof is not there because the plan He has for you won't require it. Do you get it? Whether you're married, whether you're singled, whether you're divorced, whether you're childless or have a full nest. God has planned your life the way He has given you circumstances to run with His plan. Run with His plan. Husbands, God's plan is not for you to be the breadwinner. Let me repeat myself. You are not the breadwinner. That is not God's plan for you. God's plan for you is to be the spiritual head of your family. You take up that mantle and you accept it and you live by it. You don't delegate it to your wife. You don't delegate it to the Sunday school teachers or to anybody else. You are the spiritual head of your family. You lead in worship. You lead in study. You lead in every single way to take who God has given you to be a Christian man who is the spiritual head of his home. If you've given that responsibility to your wife, take it back. If you think you're a breadwinner, God will take you to a wilderness to teach you that man does not live by bread alone. Wives, if your husband has given you the responsibility of a spiritual headship, give it back. Yeah, but I'm better at it than he is. Give it back and watch what God does with him. Give it back and let God be God. Let God have his plan, his way. Teenagers, young adults... Let me go go back to women. I'm done with the women. (laughs) That was too easy. I just took you off the hook. Now you got nothing but free time, right? (laughs) Women, train up the young women in your lives. Make them godly women. Your job is to do that. Your job job is not to make your kids successful in life and successful in school. Your job is to teach your kids that God has a plan for them kids, as your mom teaches you let, me tell you, let me show you the curriculum here. Here's the curriculum. This is the plan. You will find a plan for your life in this book. You will find it no other place. If you submit yourself to this book consistently day in and day out, I absolutely promise you God will reveal His plan to you. But if you do not seek God in this book, you'll never know His plan for you. It's in this book not in your phone it's not on the internet it's in the book if I ask you what you want to be when you grow up the answer is not I want to be rich the answer is I want to know God's plan for me that's what I want to know let that be your mission let that be your life Others of you in here are not married. Others of you in here don't have kids. Others here are different stations. Well, God bless you. Look at all the baggage you don't have to carry around. (laughs) I'll leave it there. You know, if you don't believe God has a plan for you, if you're not looking for God's plan for you, you think you can do this on your own, you think you can do this without God, you can just do whatever you want, Um. I've got, a, I got a, a, a news flash for you. That's a problem. And you cannot cover that problem up with sheetrock. You can sheetrock over it, and you can hide it, and you can pretend it isn't there. But I'm here to tell you, God can see through sheetrock. And your sin, your rebellion, your refusal to submit to His plan is, is on His radar. He sees it. rock will not cover it. There's only one thing that will cover that sin, and that's the blood of Jesus Christ and His cross. Friends, God has a plan for you. We'll find it in the book. We'll find it in the words of sermons. We'll find it together in our fellowship as we walk through life together. But let's all agree to one thing whether we like where we're at or not or understand it, let's take up our staff and let's walk. Jesus, I pray this morning that we are challenged in ways that we needed to be challenged, that you have a plan that we would seek until we find, we would listen until we hear. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. God has a plan for you, and he prepared it way before you were born. Stand with me.